0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this inspiring TED Talks HCI podcast episode, I explore David Lee's 2017 TED Talk, Why Jobs of the Future Won't Feel Like Work. Welcome back to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. It's great to be with you again today for this inspiring TED Talks HCI podcast episode. Today, I'll be exploring David Lee's 2017 TED Talk, Why Jobs of the Future Won't Feel Like Work. We've all heard that robots are going to take over our jobs, but what can we do about it? Innovation expert David Lee says that we should start designing jobs that unlock our hidden talents and passions, the things we spend our weekends doing to keep us relevant in the age of robotics. Start asking people what problems they're inspired to solve and what talents they want to bring to work, Lee says. When you invite people to be more, they can amaze us with how much more they can be. Thanks for joining me, and I'll catch you on the flip side of this first clip.
1: So there's a lot of valid concern these days that our technology is getting so smart that we put ourselves on a path to a jobless future. And I think the example of the self-driving car is actually the easiest one to see. So these are going to be fantastic for all kinds of different reasons. But did you know that driver is actually the most common job in 29 of the 50 U.S. states? What's going to happen to these jobs when we're no longer driving our cars, or cooking our food, or even diagnosing our own diseases? Well, a recent study from Forrester Research goes so far to predict that 25 million jobs might disappear over the next 10 years. To put that in perspective, that's three times as many jobs lost in the aftermath of the financial crisis. And it's not just blue-collar jobs that are at risk. On Wall Street and across Silicon Valley, we are seeing tremendous gains in the quality of analysis and decision-making because of machine learning. So even the smartest, highest-paid people will be affected by this change. What's clear is that no matter what your job is, at least some, if not all of your work, is going to be done by a robot or software in the next few years. And that's exactly why people like Mark Zuckerberg and Bill Gates are talking about the need for government-funded minimum income levels. But if our politicians can't agree on things like healthcare or even school lunches, I just don't see a path where they'll find consensus on something as big and as expensive as universal basic life income. Instead, I think the response needs to be led by us in industry, we have to recognize the change that's ahead of us and start to design the new kinds of jobs that will still be relevant in an age of robotics. The good news is that we have faced down and recovered two mass extinctions of jobs before. From 1870 to 1970, the percent of American workers based on farms fell by 90 percent. And then again, from 1950 to 2010, the percent of Americans working in factories fell by 75 percent. The challenge we face this time, however, is one of time. We had 100 years to move from farms to factories, and then 60 years to fully build out a service economy. The rate of change today suggests that we may only have 10 or 15 years to adjust, and if we don't react fast enough, that means by the time today's elementary school students are, eight, are college age, we could be living in a world that's robotic, largely unemployed and stuck in kind of an un Depression.
0: It's really interesting to me to think about Disruptive technologies, robotics, AI and deep machine learning, other forms of automation derived by technologies that are developed and implemented into the workforce. And he talks about the threat of a jobless future. And I think it's an interesting premise, though incredibly unlikely to happen. And and he'll get more into that later in his talk. But he lays out in this first clip how we've been here before. In fact, we often talk about how we're in the Industrial Revolution 4.0, because there have been previous stages where disruptive technologies have completely disrupted the labor force and shifted the economies. In the first clip, he talks about two specific time periods, one from 1870 to 1970, where we lost 90% of agriculture jobs, and then again from uh 1950 to the present day, where we've lost 75% of manufacturing jobs. Now, during those shifts, did we see a jobless future? Uh, well, of course not. They just shifted. Uh, jobs w- moved into new sectors of the economy. And of course, now we're 80-plus percent service sector economy in the U.S., and many parts of the world have followed suit. And so as we're in the knowledge economy and the tech economy, Uh, We don't need people to do all of the manual labor types of things that they needed to do back when we had people farming land to grow food. Uh, Obviously, we still grow food, and agriculture is still big business, but we have machines that can do so much more of it. Same thing with with factories and manufacturing. Uh, I've worked in a factory before. I've I've farmed before. I've worked construction before. I've worked a lot of blue-collar jobs in the past, and I personally think it's a great thing that many of these types of menial tasks, the, uh, the ones that really require the least amount of skill, the most routine, the ones that require really not much creativity, that we, we can automate those. And we can then start to focus on the shift into a new economy with new types of jobs requiring new skills and capabilities. Uh, Personally, I think that is something to look forward to, and he's going to lay out in the future uh, clips why that's something that we can be excited about. But I don't think it has to be this way. You see, I work in innovation, and part
1: of my job is to shape how large companies apply new technologies. Certainly, some of these technologies are even specifically designed to replace human workers. But I believe that if we start taking steps right now to change the nature of work, we can not only create environments where people love coming to work, but also generate the innovation that we need to replace the millions of jobs that will be lost to technology. I believe that the key to preventing our jobless future is to rediscover what makes us human and to create a new generation of human-centered jobs that allow us to unlock the hidden talents and passions that we carry with us every day. But first, I think it's important to recognize that we brought this problem on ourselves, and it's not just because you know, we are the ones building the robots. But even though most jobs left the factory decades ago, we still hold on to this factory mindset of standardization and de-skilling. We still define jobs around procedural tasks and then pay people for the number of hours that they perform these tasks. We've created narrow job definitions like cashier, loan processor or taxi driver and then asked people to form entire careers around these singular tasks. These choices have left us with actually two dangerous side effects. The first is that these narrowly defined jobs will be the first to be displaced by robots, because single-task robots are just the easiest kinds to build. But second, we have accidentally made it so that millions of workers around the world have unbelievably boring working lives. (laughs) Let's take the example of a call center agent. Over the last few decades, we brag about lower operating costs because we've taken most of the need for power out of the person and put it into the system. For most of their day, they click on screens, they read scripts. They act more like machines than humans. And unfortunately, over the next few years, as our technology gets more advanced, they, along with people like clerks and bookkeepers, will see the vast majority of their work disappear. To counteract this, we have to start creating new jobs, that are less centered on the tasks that a person does and more focused on the skills that a person brings to work. For example, robots are great at repetitive and constrained work, but human beings have an amazing ability to bring together capability with creativity when faced with problems that we've never seen before. It's when every day brings a little bit of a surprise that we have designed work for humans and not for robots. Our entrepreneurs and engineers already live in this world, but so do our nurses and our plumbers. At therapists.
0: I don't think it has to be this way either. And he talks about how we kind of got ourselves into this whole mess and our drive for efficiencies and cutting costs has really moved jobs from being something that was more holistic, where you think back uh, to the days of craftsmen and people who, who did uh, entire scopes of work to see from start to finish what they'd accomplished, and and it required a high level of skill. And over time, what we did is we broke those skills down into minute little tasks that could be replicated on an assembly line very quickly by people who really had no skill and by people who really didn't have to think. And so we've created jobs and professions that are task-driven and very narrowly defined and in so doing, we've created a whole slew of jobs, entire professions, entire careers that people are in currently that are going to be easily replicable through technology and automation and robots, machine learning, AI. So the question is, is that a good thing, a bad thing? Uh, personally, I, th- I think it's a good thing because those types of jobs uh, were problematic in the first place. Were they efficient? Yes. Could they cut costs? Yes. But is that the sole purpose behind work and behind organizations existing and providing value to the marketplace? I don't think so. I think we can have meaningful work. We can have jobs where people get excited about getting up in the morning and going to do their work. So it's not soul-crushing, soul-sucking type of work where you just can't imagine going another day and, and you dread it. I've had jobs like that, and the only thing that got me through is the fact that I had a light at the end of the tunnel. I had a discrete time frame where I had to do that work in order to save up money to go off to college or you know, to, to do a specific thing. And it wasn't something looming over me where I, I knew that for the next 40 years I'm going to be working in this brainless, soulless job. What he's arguing for is that we embrace the technologies so that we can free people from... These horrible jobs that are meaningless, that are soulless, in that as we reskill and upskill people, focus on specific discrete tasks, but rather the skilled work that needs to be done, the thoughtful and creative and innovative work that needs to be done, what really makes us human, as we connect that back to work the way it used to be, that uh, that's not easily replicable by robots or machine learning. Ultimately, that's where we need to go in redesigning jobs. And I, for one, am pretty excited about that. I think, you know, most of the work that I do, I love. But there's, there's some work that's just tedious. And I think about the prospect of having more software and more technology, more AI and machine learning to help take away some of those mundane routine tasks that are important. It's, it's necessary work, but that a machine can do it for me so I can focus on the creative stuff and the strategic stuff, that's exciting to me. And I think it could be a really great opportunity for for the workforce if we can lean into it and embrace it and be willing to reskill and upskill ourselves and the people in our organizations.
1: You know, it's the nature of too many companies and too many organizations to just ask people to come to work and do your job. But if your work is better done by a robot or your decision's better made by an AI, What are you supposed to be doing? Well, I think for the manager, we need to realistically think about the tasks that will be disappearing over the next few years and start planning for more meaningful, more valuable work that should replace it. We need to create environments where both human beings and robots thrive. I say, let's give more work to the robots, and let's start with the work that we absolutely hate doing. (laughs) Here, robot, process this painfully idiotic report. (laughs) And move this box, thank you. And for the human beings, we should follow the advice from Harry Davis at the University of Chicago. He says, we have to make it so that people don't leave too much of themselves in the trunk of their car. I mean, human beings are amazing on weekends. Think about the people that you know and what they do on Saturdays. They're artists, carpenters, chefs and athletes. But on Monday, they're back to being junior HR specialists, systems analyst three. You know, these narrow job titles not only sound boring, but they're actually a subtle encouragement for people to make narrow and boring job contributions. But I've seen firsthand that when you invite people to be more, they can amaze us with how much more they can be.
0: I'm excited to announce will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Yes, let's give the meaningless soulless work that's routinized, uh, that's easily replicable let's give that to the robots to the ai and the machine learning let's give it to the software and that will free us up to be able to do more meaningful work so organizational leaders and managers they need to be thinking about the skills necessary that aren't easily replicable and how the future of work could look with redesigned jobs if they can start identifying those today we can start preparing for it now of course with with the rise of technology there are going to be different types of jobs with requiring different types of skills that we haven't even really conceived of yet. Just like was the case at each wave of the industrial revolution, as we shifted our sectoral composition from predominantly agricultural to predominantly industrial to predominantly service sector. Again, we're in a knowledge economy age and there's going to be a shift. So some jobs, some tasks will go away because they're going to be taken over by the technologies, but there will be entirely new fields, new professions, new jobs, new skills needed to do those jobs. And we can start preparing for that today as we focus on what makes us human and the innate talents and skills that we have and bring to the table that can contribute to organizations. We can free ourselves up from the mundane, from the soulless and the soul-sucking type of work and rather focus on those things that will, that will truly make a difference and allow us to add value to the marketplace. That's pretty exciting to me.
1: A few years ago, I was working at a large bank that was trying to bring more innovation into its company culture. So my team and I designed a prototyping contest that in, invited anyone to build anything that they wanted. We were actually trying to figure out whether or not the primary limiter to innovation was a lack of ideas or a lack of talent. And it turns out it was neither one. It was an empowerment problem, and the results of the program were amazing. We started by inviting people to re-envision what it is they could bring to a team. This contest was not only a chance to build anything that you wanted, but also be anything that you wanted. And when people were no longer limited by their day-to-day job titles, they felt free to bring all kinds of different skills and talents to the problems that they were trying to solve. We saw technology people being designers, marketing people being architects, and even finance people, showing off their ability to write jokes. (laughs) We ran this program twice, and each time more than 400 people brought their unexpected talents to work and solved problems that they had been wanting to solve for years. Collectively, they created millions of dollars of value, building things like a better touchstone system for call centers, easier desktop tools for branches, and even a thank you card system that has become a cornerstone of the employee working experience. Over the course of the eight weeks, People flexed muscles that they never dreamed of using at work. People learned new skills, they met new people, and at the end, somebody pulled me aside and said, I have to tell you, the last few weeks has been one of the most intense, hardest-working experiences of my entire life. But not one second of it felt like work. And that's the key. For those few weeks, people got to be creators and innovators. They had been dreaming of solutions to problems that had been bugging them for
0: years. And this was a chance to turn those dreams into a reality. So is it an idea problem or a talent problem when we're trying to drive innovation within the workplace? I really like his example of just having a prototyping competition and allowing people to just be creative, to leverage what they do on the weekends, that that other part of themselves, the creative part of themselves that they let loose when they're not in their soul-sucking jobs, and just letting them do it. So even people in finance or accountants can start to do fun, creative things at work. Uh, that's outside the narrow job lane, outside the the very narrow and specific tasks that are outlined for them to do each and every day. And when they created that kind of a, a setting, a context in which people could create, you know, they were interested in trying to figure out: Is it because people? simply don't have the talent, they don't have enough ideas um, that they can then try to implement, what's the deal? And they found that it was neither of those things. It was an empowerment problem. And I completely agree with this. I see this every day, both in my own work, uh, in the people I interact with, but also when I go and do consulting work, that it's an empowerment problem. People don't feel like they have the freedom to be creative and innovative. They often have the skills, they practice those skills and their creativity outside of the workplace. That's why the gig economy is booming, why so many people start their own businesses or work on a side hustle, because they need a creative outlet. And their day job that provides them with the security and the paycheck uh, and the freedom to then go pursue their passions, they, they then do that with their side hustle. Why not allow people to bring their side hustle, so to speak, back into the workplace so they can actually do meaningful work that they care about, that can actually help the organization thrive. And in their simple prototyping competition, they had people doing creative stuff that added so much value to the organization. And again, this is stuff that you might think, oh, what a waste of time. They're not being productive because they're, they're focusing on all this stuff that doesn't matter and is not really driving the bottom line of the business. They found the opposite when they empowered their people to be creative and to innovate they came up with entirely new solutions, new sets of products and services and fixes to existing um, products and services that enhanced the value of the organization and enlivened and invigorated their workers. At Towards the end of that clip, when he talks about the one worker coming to him and saying, you know, this has been the most amazing three weeks of my entire career. Man, that's what we want. It, it was hard work. The person acknowledged it was hard work but it almost didn't even feel like work because they were so excited about what they were doing. That's what we want to create and that's what artificial intelligence, machine learning, robots, that's the type of potential future we can create for ourselves if we'll just get on it and start preparing for that future. And that dreaming is an important part of what separates us from the machines.
1: For now, our machines do not get frustrated, they do not get annoyed, and they certainly don't imagine. But we as human beings, we feel pain, we get frustrated, and it's when we're most annoyed and most curious that we're motivated to dig into a problem and create change. Our imaginations are the birthplace of new products, new services and even new industries. I believe that the jobs of the future will come from the minds of people who today we call analysts and specialists, but only if we give them the freedom and protection that they need to grow into becoming explorers and inventors. If we really want to robot-proof our jobs, we as leaders need to get out of the mindset of telling people what to do instead and start asking them what problems they're inspired to solve and what talents they want to bring to work. Because when you can bring your Saturday self to work on Wednesdays, you'll look forward to Mondays more, and those feelings that we have about Mondays are part of what makes us human. And as we redesign work for an era of intelligent machines, I invite you all to work alongside me to bring more humanity to our working lives. Thank you.
0: We can do it. We can bring humanity back into work. We can bring it back into our working lives. We can uh, pursue our passions. That's not a pipe dream. That's not just something for cheesy movies or for songs and art. That is something that we can embed and infuse right back into the workplace as we allow people to explore their passions, bring their passion to work, uh, answer a a perplexing and and vexing question. Uh, What's that burning question that they have that they've noticed as they've gone throughout their mind-sucking, soul-crushing job for the past however many years? Ask them, allow them, empower them to be able to Resolve and and solve those questions, they will innovate, they will be creative, uh, help them lean into the messiness of their humanity so they can leverage their creativity and they can bring their Saturday self to the workplace. I have to admit, I I feel pretty fortunate uh, and very privileged. Uh, I'm a professor, I, I have one of the best gigs there is. Now, I had to work my butt off to get here working in, in crummy jobs all throughout all of my college years, 11 years of higher education uh, to get various degrees and ultimately get my PhD um, so that I could become a professor. I had to work my butt off to get here, but I'm glad I did it because this is one of the greatest gigs there is because I have my day job. I am a professor with the status, with the prestige, with the connections, uh, with the, the salary and the benefits, the office, all the support that it provides. But then I have like almost endless autonomy and flexibility in how I perform my job as long as I perform. They're not so focused at the university about specific discrete tasks. They're just they're focused on outcomes. They're focused on how much I'm able to create and produce and and how well I can teach and how well I can can work with organizations and how well I can do research and write and publish. And all of these are creative endeavors. And so because of that, though, then I can have my side hustle. I can do things like a creative podcast like this. I can run a magazine. I can do consulting work. I can do all the fun, cool side hustle things that I get to do. And it integrates with my day job, with being a professor, and it complements the work that I do as a professor. And that work as a professor also feeds into and helps me be more effective in my side hustle. That's amazing. Uh, I wish, I really, truly wish, and I do believe that we can create more jobs that allow for that kind of flexibility, that autonomy, and infuse that kind of meaning and purpose in work each and every day. I have to admit, like, Mondays still aren't always my favorite because I love the weekend. I love spending time with my family. And I know my kids dread going back to school on Monday. But I have to admit that because of my privileged situation, I don't dread Mondays, like, a lot of people dread Mondays. Why? Because I actually am excited about my work because I I love doing what I do. And I, I get excited for the things that are coming in the new work week. And I think if we can help more people have that experience at work and in the type of jobs and the skills that they develop, we create and design new jobs for the future of work, we can have thriving organizations. It's my vision. It's my hope. I so love this TED Talk, and I think there's a lot we can learn from this and a lot to think about. I hope that you'll do that and think about how it applies to your business. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. As always, I hope you stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day, and I hope you have a great week.